the Holy Spirit. This is number two in this series, entitled, Praying for the Holy Spirit. Will you join me in prayer? O loving Father, as we assimilate today's message, we ask Thee to send us Thy Holy Spirit to awaken our hearts in preparation for heaven's most precious gift, the third person of the Godhead, that we may be prepared for the final events so soon to take place. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, because he promised to send us the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have chosen one of the shortest <clears throat> scriptures in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. And this verse contains the formula for victory. It reads, pray without ceasing. As an introduction, I would like to put some questions into your mind that you could be searching for the answers. First, does God actually answer our prayers? Do prayers really work? Does God listen to our pleas for help? Let me tell you of a modern-day miracle. I know this to be true. Many of you will recall what was spoken of some years ago as the Iron Curtain, that the Soviet Union had erected out of concrete and minefields that were hundreds of miles in length, extending through Europe. It was my privilege, while engaged in the work of the General Conference, to visit behind the Iron Curtain to an area where this thrilling event took place, and it was told to me while I was there. For many years, I could not be specific in revealing the details, since this could mean persecution and even death to our faithful Adventist believers. But now, with perestroika, comes an unheard of freedom that they had not experienced for decades. Communism was very cruel to God's people, for the philosophy of communism teaches that there is no God. And if you must believe in a God, let it be that you are the God. No one, and I mean no one, was permitted to teach in any capacity from the first grade through the very last year of the university unless they signed a sworn statement that they would uphold atheism, that there is no God. Now with such godless teachers and professors, together with the fact that attendance at school was required six days a week, Monday through Saturday, which is God's day of worship, 
the sign of our allegiance to him, this made it almost impossible for Seventh-day Adventist youth to obtain a worthwhile education. Hundreds of our faithful parents spent years in jail because they refused to send their children to school on the blessed Sabbath day. Furthermore, in those days of oppression, our youth could not choose their life work, for each was assigned a job according to the recommendations of their professors when they finished school. If the job they were assigned to required work on the Sabbath and they refused, there was no ration card for food. So our loyal youth determined to obtain the best education with the help of God that would permit them to keep the Sabbath. They soon discovered that the most likely field of education to be faithful to God would be to become a nurse or a doctor. So in this certain city, and I could name it, but I still feel it unsafe to do so, in this city, behind what was then the Iron Curtain, there were approximately 30 Seventh-day Adventist students in the university studying medicine who were willing to make any sacrifice necessary to obey their God. The Lord was very merciful and was providing professors who permitted them to skip Sabbath classes providing that they kept their grades at the very top level. Every few months, each student's grades were evaluated by a government inspector not connected with the university. And any student not meeting a certain standard was immediately dismissed and put to work, usually in the coal mines where Sabbath work was required. Then one day, a new president was appointed at this university. He noticed that these Seventh-day Adventist students did not attend classes on the Sabbath, and he was an avid atheist. When he learned why these students did not attend classes on the Sabbath, he told them that they must attend Sabbath classes or he would see to it that each received a failing grade, even though they were at the top of their class with the highest grades possible. What could our faithful youth do? Humanly speaking, there seemed to be no possible way of escape. For when the government inspectors would see their failing grades posted, they would be forced to leave the university, only to be sent to the coal mines to work on the Sabbath. But these young men and women were very devout Seventh-day Adventist Christians. They believed in prayer and that God could take care of their problem they decided to pray. We had a very small church nearby, this university, 
and the students and members of the church decided to conduct all-night prayer meetings every night of the week, even if it required months. They would be pleading for God to intervene and answer their prayers so that these students could get the education needed. They arranged to have several praying at the church for a certain amount of time each night, and then another group would come in and take over, and then still another, continuing all night, every night. In this way, they were placing their earnest petitions before God. One night, a young mother was there with her baby, and she was caring for the little one in the mother's room when she happened to look out of the tiny window which opened on the alley, and she saw a very strange sight. She saw thousands of rats running away from the university down the alley past the tiny church. She called to others to come and to see this strange sight. A few moments later, there was a large earthquake that centered at the university. On these grounds, a very high-rise apartment building had been built to house the faculty who taught at this university. When the earthquake struck, it collapsed, killing everyone who lived within. The university was closed for more than a year while rebuilding. Then an entire new staff with a new president came to continue the educational program. And praise God, our Seventh-day Adventist youth were permitted to keep the blessed Sabbath day holy they did not have to attend Sabbath classes under this new faculty. Does God answer prayers of his children? Yes, he does. He most certainly answers our prayers today. Perhaps not always in such a dramatic way, but he does answer prayers. There is no doubt about it. And now I must personally praise God for a recent miracle that I witnessed as the Lord answered prayer. Several weeks ago I received a telephone call from California by a person who asked me if I made hospital calls. Now although I am retired from active service for the church, I still visit those in the hospital who are in need of prayer and encouragement when the need presents itself. There are two hospitals nearby in Roseburg, some 22 miles away, but the caller said that this lady, who was in a serious condition, was in a hospital in Grants Pass, which is some 50 miles from where we live. I said I would see what I could do. I was extremely busy. The caller did not tell me how serious the situation was. The next morning I could not get Sharon Bartholomew out of my mind. So in the afternoon, 
we took a trip down to Grants Pass. When we arrived at the hospital, we found Sharon was in intensive care. As Dean and I entered the room, we discovered she was being kept alive on a respirator. The blinking lights on the screens above her head revealed that she was not breathing on her own. Her kidneys were hardly functioning, and her blood pressure was dangerously low. Sharon's mother was in the room with her. She told us that the doctor had stated that unless a miracle took place, she should not be alive in the morning. I later learned that the doctor had mentioned also that he would like to have an autopsy to discover the cause of her serious condition. Sharon was still conscious, but unable to talk because of the many tubes that were within her mouth. I felt that under these circumstances, she needed to be anointed in prayer. After talking to Sharon and the mother, I asked her if she would like to be anointed, asking God for a miracle to save her life, if God willed. She responded by a nod of her head. We quickly left the room in search of a grocery store to obtain some olive oil. Returning to the room, the three of us in prayer placed Sharon in the hands of God and anointed her requesting that our mighty God would touch her body and heal her instantly or in his own time restore her body functions according to his will. Leaving the room, we traveled home. We were continually placing our petition before God many, many times. In the morning, we called the hospital and discovered the good news. When the doctor entered her room and checked her vital records recorded on the screens, he stated, a miracle has taken place. For after the anointing and prayer, the body functions began to improve. The kidneys began, little by little, to do their work, and the blood pressure began to normalize. She also began to breathe a little at a time on her own. Each day, there was a marked improvement. A week later, we visited her again, and we could see a great change that had taken place in her body. Then they moved her to Medford, where she could receive dialysis treatments to assist her kidneys to function. When we visited there, she had been up walking, and her family was with her, and she was looking forward to going home. I shall never forget the big smile that was on her face. Oh, how we praise God for his goodness. As I write this script, I just called Sharon on the phone at her home, where she is improving day by day, and she requested that God be praised by giving me permission to tell you 
of this marvelous experience. This thrilling answer to prayer in healing belongs to the remnant church of our Savior. I was but a tool of God used by him to fulfill his will. The power that was manifested was found in the name of Jesus. The time is soon to come when such an experience is to be expected by all the saints of God as the Lord manifests his power to answer their prayers. Praise the Lord. God answers prayer today. Now with these two wonderful stories, let me read once again what happened in answer to prayer on the day of Pentecost. I am reading Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. I'd like to read to you what Ellen White says concerning what was taking place. I am reading from the Acts of the Apostles, page 35. In obedience to Christ's command, they waited in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Spirit. They did not wait in idleness. The record says that they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God, Luke 24:53. They also met together to present their requests to the Father in the name of Jesus. They knew that they had a representative in heaven, an advocate at the throne of God, and in solemn awe they bowed in prayer, repeating the assurance, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. John sixteen twenty three and 24. Higher and still higher they extended the hand of faith with the mighty argument, It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Romans eight thirty four. Let this fact be riveted in your mind. Prayer preceded Pentecost. And for many days in the upper room, those 120 saints pled with God for the Holy Spirit when suddenly God answered their request as a tongue of fire descended upon each disciple. The results 
3,000 souls were one in a single day. Never forget it. Prayer preceded Pentecost. And Bible prophecy predicts that once again a great spiritual revival will burst upon the faithful few. The latter rain will come when we pray for it. In the Mount of Blessings, page 132, I read, Bible prophecy predicts a spiritual revival. The outpouring of the Spirit in the latter rain power awaits our demand and reception. The Holy Spirit, the representative of himself, is the greatest of all gifts. But God will not pour out his supreme gift in this infinite plenitude upon a prayerless people. When we beseech the Lord in pity, to pity us in our distress, and to guide us by his Holy Spirit, he will never turn away our prayers." Unquote. Thank you, Lord. Praise thy name. Prayer always precedes power. Remember the text? Pray without ceasing. In that wonderful book, Steps to Christ, we read on page 94, prayer is the key to the boundless resources of omnipotence. Dear beloved, nothing supersedes prayer. The remnant must learn to pray before they can expect the promised rain. If we will permit the Spirit, He Himself will motivate us. Ellen White writes of her own personal experience in a letter, 11b, 1892. Quote, I have learned to know that in all my intercessions the Spirit intercedes for me and for all saints whose intercessions are according to the will of God. If we are taught of God, we shall pray in conformity to his revealed will. Jesus is waiting to breathe upon all his disciples and give them the inspiration of his sanctifying spirit and transfuse the vital influence from himself to his people. Their will must be submitted to his will. They must act with his spirit." Unquote. Dear beloved, we will never find a substitute for prayer in the Bible. Study, sacrifice, service, each has its place. But the soul must also actually contact God in a living experience of prayer. As we reach out to God, he will come to us. In the book Christ Object Lessons, page 206, 
Never a sincere desire after God is cherished, however feeble, but the Spirit of God goes forth to meet it. Unquote. Isn't that a beautiful thought? What a Savior! As we pray, the power of God comes to meet us. The experience found in prayer is not something that can be substituted by sermons from the pulpit. It's an individual, heartfelt experience. In the book, Gospel Workers, page 259, it explains that such an experience comes, and I quote, in the audience chamber with God, unquote. This personal experience is beautifully illustrated in the book, Steps to Christ, page 100. Keep your wants, your joys, your sorrows, your cares, and your fears before God. You cannot burden him. You cannot weary him. He who numbered the hairs of your head is not indifferent to the wants of his children. The Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy, James 5.11. His heart of love is touched by our sorrows and even by our utterances of them. Take to him everything that perplexes the mind. Nothing is too great for him to bear, for he holds up worlds he rules over all the affairs of the universe. Nothing that in any way concerns our peace is too small for him to notice. Don't you like that? There is no chapter in our experience too dark for him to read. There is no perplexity too difficult for him to unravel. No calamity can befall the least of his children. No anxiety harasses the soul. No joy, cheer, no sincere prayer escapes the lips of which our Heavenly Father is unobservant or in which he takes no immediate interest. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds, Psalms 147.3. The relations between God and each soul are as distinct and full as though there were not another soul upon the earth to share his watch care, not another soul for whom he gave his beloved son. Unquote. What assurance! Praise God! When we have mastered this kind of a personal relationship with our God in prayer, we will be ready to join with the saints in asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Manuscript 21, 1900, when God's people will believe, when they will turn their attention to that which is true, and living, and real, 
the Holy Spirit in strong heavenly currents will be poured upon the church, unquote. My dear friend, there's mighty power in prayer. May I capture just a few of the experiences found in the Word of God? Remember how Elijah closed and opened heaven's reign by prayer? And through prayer, Samson pulled down the dragon's temple? By prayer, Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Hezekiah's prayer was the cause for 185,000 Assyrians to perish in a single night. And it was in Mary's house that the church prayed without ceasing until God's angels opened the prison doors and delivered Peter. We all praise God for things we receive each day. But have we ever thought of this statement found in the Review and Herald of October 20, 1896? Quote, The greatest blessing that our God can give to man is the spirit of earnest prayer. Unquote. I trust that you will do some serious thinking. Let me read it again. The greatest blessing that God can give to man is the spirit of earnest prayer. In the teachings of Jesus, we find real meat in understanding the work and place of the Holy Spirit. On the night before his betrayal, when Jesus was to leave his disciples, he spoke of a successor, one who was to take his place. He called the Holy Spirit the coming comforter. The Greek calls this comforter paraletos, which literally means one called alongside. Jesus said of him, and I'm quoting John 16, 7, If I depart, I will send him, the comforter, unto you. This implies that an exchange would take place. One comforter, Jesus, was to leave and ascend to heaven. But another comforter, the Holy Spirit, would descend from heaven to take the place of Jesus. In this way, every Christian would be assured of the divine presence and could count on his personal protection. This would be a power that would act as a shield and a guide who would lead, teach, and even assist them in their prayers. But in my work as the gospel minister, I find that there are many who seem to have a problem. They do not know how to pray for the Spirit. Why? Because of a fuzzy thinking 
about the Spirit. They believe that the Holy Spirit is some kind of a shadowy, pervading influence, somewhat like the impersonal force of gravity, perhaps something like cosmic rays. But the individual who knows his Bible and the inspired writings of the Spirit of Prophecy understands the Holy Spirit to be the third person of the Godhead. Evangelism, page 616, quote, The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, and he is as much a person as God is a person. Now keep in mind, no one can explain the Eternal Father. Our finite minds cannot grasp the infinite so neither can we understand the nature of the Holy Spirit. I'm reading Acts of the Apostles, page 52, in which we are told, quote, The nature of the Holy Spirit is a mystery. The Lord has not revealed it. Regarding such mysteries, which are too deep for human understanding, silence is golden, unquote. But we have no power, no problem, to know about Jesus. For he lived with us on this earth as a man. And in John 14, 9, Jesus said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Christ came to show us the Father, and that God the Father loves us and wants us to be saved. All that can be said of God our Father can be also said of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead. Now the more we dwell upon this subject, the more we will sense the Spirit's presence. Just as we feel the presence of Jesus when we spend time upon him. We believe the plan for each of us is to be kept in the tender care of the Holy Spirit. When we understand this, it opens up our understanding of how Jesus loves and cares for us. Since he became one of us, born of the flesh, he can no longer be on this earth to care for his flock, so he sends the Holy Spirit to give us of his personal care and love. In Steps to Christ, page 75, through the Spirit, Christ was to abide continually in the hearts of his children. Their union with him was closer than when he was personally with them. Unquote. And so let us praise God how lovingly he has provided for our every need. We have been told, and I'm reading from undated manuscript, page 73, quote, We do not want more of God any more urgently that he wants all there is of us to be consecrated to his service, unquote.
You know, I like that. The more I long for the presence of God in my life, God longs to deepen that kind of a relationship. One of the reasons I believe that we are not on our knees more, pleading daily for the companionship of the Holy Spirit, is that we fail to recognize our great need. And there is something else that we must face up to. It is not just a matter of asking. We need to sense a responsibility to join with Christ in spreading the good news of salvation. Listen to this. I'm reading letter 22, 1902. James and John thought that for the asking they could have the highest place in the kingdom of God. They did not realize that before they could share Christ's glory, they must wear his yoke. You know, I feel like pleading, Oh God, open our eyes, not only to our need, but open our understanding to the great responsibility resting upon us to share our faith with others. In that beautiful book, Desire of Ages, page 672, I read, Christ has promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to his church. But, like every other promise, it is given on condition. Did you hear that? Did it register? I must read it again. Christ has promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to his church. But like every other promise, it is given on condition. You remember what we just read about James and John? They thought that all that they needed to do was to ask, and their desires would be achieved. But you see, we must wear Christ's yoke. We are to be workers together with God for the saving of precious souls. Let me read some quotations from the Word of God in the Spirit of Prophecy. John fourteen twelve. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Explaining this, I read in Acts of the Apostles, page 22, By this, Christ did not mean that the disciples would make more exalted exertions than he had made, but that their work would have greater magnitude. And in John fifteen twenty six, when the Comforter is come, he said, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and then these words, and ye also shall bear witness. When Pentecost took place, and the Spirit of God was poured out without measure, 
Acts of the Apostles, page 37 says, the disciples felt their spiritual need and cried to the Lord for the holy unction that was to fit them for the work of soul saving. They did not ask for a blessing for themselves merely. They were weighed with the burden of the salvation of others. They realized <clears throat> that the gospel was to be carried to the world, and they claimed the power that Christ had promised." Unquote. So we must pray and seek the Spirit in faith. We must personally experience a revival. Then we shall share our faith. Like Christ, we shall discover a hatred of sin, but a love for the lost sinner. Remember in that book, My Life Today, page 16, quote, if you will find voice and time to pray, God will find time and voice to answer. I must leave you with this thought again. Let me read it. If you will find voice and time to pray, God will find time and voice to answer. Let us pray. As we have spent this time together in meditation upon the third person of the Godhead, wilt thou, O Holy Spirit, fill us now with thy presence, giving us victory over our sinful natures, and prepare us to become mighty in thy word that we may win souls for thy kingdom. Amen. Lord, in the sour of tomorrow, Lord, in the night of fear, 